This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. This week, we talk with Eve Porcello about getting started with GraphQL. She's the co-author of Learning React, Learning GraphQL, and travels the world with husband Alex Banks, teaching JavaScript and telling jokes. We talk about comedy and code and how to engage audiences with a little bit of funny. This is a great episode if you want to add a little GraphQL to your stack or learn how to give a hilarious conference talk. Before we dive in, I want to take just a minute and thank our sponsor, Git Prime. Git Prime has a book they want to give you. It's called 20 Patterns to Watch For in Your Engineering Team. It will help you identify and fix failing engineering strategies like code hoarding, bit twiddling, and unusually high churn. Now, I hear you, you might be thinking, this sounds like a book for managers. And to that, I say no, this is a book for leaders. And you, my friend, are a leader. There's been a lot of internet chatter about being a 10x dev the past couple weeks. Most of it nonsense, but I can tell you one thing that always makes you a more valuable contributor the ability to communicate well and identify bottlenecks. If you wanna level up, read this book. It is a spotlight on the issues your team is facing, and you'll look like a natural leader as you address those issues and improve effective collaboration. Visit getprime.com slash 20 patterns, that's the number, 20 patterns, for your free copy. Then when everyone is asking what your secret is, give Git Prime a try and see these insights in a beautiful dashboard. Get Prime. Engineers build business. Hello, Eve. Welcome to React Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I am very excited to have you. Um, just to start, I, I feel like everyone does their own personal intros a little bit better than I could. Um, give us the 411 on you. What are you up to these days? What's the, what's the now on Eve? What's the now? Uh, well, we're working on a second edition of our Learning React book right now. So that first one, it's not holding up so hot with all the <laughs> new changes. So it's uh, really exciting to go back through and rewrite everything. And all the code samples are getting really tightened up because of hooks. And it's a really exciting time. Um, and then we're just working on GraphQL training. So um, my husband, Alex Banks, and I work for our own company, Moon Highway, we teach a lot of GraphQL and React and JavaScript classes, so we're out touring around and spreading the good word about GraphQL. Awesome. Now, do you get to do that together? We do, yeah. So, um, Awesome. Yeah, about seven years ago, we moved to Tahoe, and there are no jobs here. And so he's been wanting me to work with him for <laughs> like 12 years now, and I'm, I finally broke at one point and we do all of our work together. So it's worked out really well and been a lot of fun. So, yeah. <laughs> so I have a question about uh, authoring a book. Now, I know sure. a lot of times there's kind of these like these guidelines for how big a book should be. When you write a book like Learning React and then, you know, 16.8 comes out and hooks make everything like half as big, um, do you have to just like come up with random new content to fill up the, the page count or like do they, they give you a pass on that kind of stuff? I think we're getting a pass on that kind of stuff. Our first our first book was 350 pages, which is wow. pretty long. <laughs> so a shorter <laughs> version of that book is probably like, that'll do fine. So um, yeah, it's O'Reilly has been really awesome as a publisher because they kind of trust us to make the right decisions about what goes in there and what 
is too long, what is too short. Yeah. So not a whole lot of uh, <laughs> adherence to rules on that. So that's good. <laughs> Do you find that you um, still have to cover some of the same patterns or are you just kind of going all in on, on hooks? Uh, we're pretty much going all in on hooks. We are pointing out when introducing like state concepts and things like that, that there was this old way of doing things in the past, um, just in case people are like in the real world getting into code bases that have a class. So we don't want people to yeah. feel hung out to dry <laughs> if they're reading this <laughs> book, like, what is this? I thought I was going to learn React. You didn't tell me. So we're pointing it out. <laughs> New hotness only. Exactly. <laughs> so we're pointing it out like a historical tour of what was part of our history as React developers, our storied history, but mainly getting into hooks. So yeah, it's cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have to say, I um, I, I know that we're not going to be able to cover all of the, the things Eve in this uh, in, in, in this short period of time together, which just means we'll have to do this again because uh, you have so many things that you're doing. Um, but you're actually a fun, a really fun person to research because I was I always like to spend like you know like an hour or so before a call just kind of like getting reacquainted with a person. Maybe there's some talks that I haven't like seen of theirs or whatnot, and um, and Nelly, my my wife was was looking at me like, are you like watching some kind of like Netflix like. <laughs> comedy special without me like on your phone right now because I was just I was just cracking up I find you so funny like you have the the brand of humor that just goes right right to me um so I wanted to ask did you have um like a past in like comedy or like drama or anything like that before you came to programming uh first of all thank you that's very nice (laughs) and uh yes I do so I went to college in Chicago which was just like getting myself to move away from Michigan so that I could go to <laughs> comedy uh, and go to improv class basically and attend college on the side sort of. So um, yeah, that's my background. I lived in Chicago for a long time and did comedy and sketch and improv and things like that. Um, and that's where I met my husband, Alex, actually, who oh, nice. was a programmer at that time, but um, also did shows all the time. And so, yeah, as we started getting into this um, this world of conferences and things like that, we have this <laughs> background that we kind of just incorporate because that's what we know how to do. <laughs> so yeah. um, that's like how we rehearse things is like rehearsing old sketch bits from a long, long time ago. So yeah, we definitely, <laughs> that's what we really uh, love to do. And then we love teaching. So it kind of all fits together pretty well. That's so awesome. It gives such a unique flair and character to all of your talks. Cause I think some people are, are funny and sometimes programming is like just funny by it's like very nature. Um, but there's something like so different about the way that, that you approach the humor to your talks and it feels very kind of like controlled and knowledgeable. And I, I I'm, I'm here for it a hundred percent. Cool. Thank you. What, what did uh what did improv classes and comedy classes look like when you were taking them? Uh let's see. I Chicago is like ground like such a hub of comedy. Oh, yeah, and yeah. so there are a million different schools that you can go to and very organized programs for <laughs> like taking people's money <laughs> to get them <laughs> to course. be the funniest person at their office and that sort of thing. So uh we just I just went through several programs at Second City and Improv Olympic there and 
learned how to, I don't know, learn how to write, learn how to improvise, and learned how to um, perform under really bad conditions. So I can handle a tech audience pretty well because yeah. even if they're super bored at the beginning of what I'm doing, <laughs> it's better than people who are like really drunk and it's <laughs> one in the morning or <laughs> things like that. No, Expecting nothing, you to make them laugh. Exactly. So nothing yeah. could be as bad as that. So <laughs> yeah. What is, is there anything for, for those of us that aren't very good at like delivering a joke? Is there something that everyone across the board gets wrong in joke formation? Oh, wow. Um, gets wrong about joke formation. I, I don't know. I think in preparing for these talks, um, just preparing is huge. Like mm -hmm. not just trying to wing it necessarily <laughs> with uh, what you're trying to do because people aren't necessarily looking to watch, I don't know, too much. <laughs> so yeah. just taking it too far, being too needy, not it, having a feeling that um, I'm not answering this question particularly well. There's no such thing as a bad joke. Just go for it. <laughs> Have confidence. <laughs> and just believe in your own joke, even if other people don't, because they're not all going to work. <laughs> I think I think you touched on the thing that I'm 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 personally after is like something that I enjoyed about like all of your all of your jokes is it's just kind of like they're out there. Like for me, it's like I always feel like if I try a joke, like I just like I'm hanging on that joke. <laughs> Right. And it's like, yeah. it's so demoralizing if it doesn't land. Like, I just, I want to like curl up and die and like stop giving the talk. And like, yours are always just like, eh, if it's for you, it's for you. Yeah. It's funny to me. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I stand in front of classrooms of people for like eight hours. So a lot of my jokes aren't funny and people don't laugh, but you just have to, you just have to be there. <laughs> you just have to go through it. If they don't like it, it's fine. There'll be another joke and they'll probably be on your side so <laughs> they'll laugh at that one yeah <laughs> just laying the groundwork exactly exactly <laughs> <laughs> so how did that bring you or uh, I guess prepare you for for teaching uh I think it's helped with um just presentation skills mm -hmm. uh when preparing for these conference talks we run through them like they are <laughs> rehearsals and oh. uh really really like hammer all these jokes and go through everything a million times. And that rehearsal process has really stuck with me. It's something I like to skip because I'm, uh, I feel like, Oh, it'll be fine. I got it. But I, that's never true. I always need to spend more time than I think just running through things. So the rehearsal process, as well as just like, um, some little improv tricks, like raising the stakes, um, just, I don't know, the React rally talk, I pretended to be drunk yeah. in the street. And like, no one would say like, you should definitely start a tech talk like that. Um, <laughs> and that's really dumb. But that's high stakes. And that's having a point of view yeah. that um, is at least compelling. Even if people don't think it's funny, they're like, what is she doing? And they <laughs> might want to listen longer. So <laughs> it's, it's just... I don't know, going for it, I think is really like, yeah, the takeaway from that time. So that is interesting, because I would never I would never go that far into a joke. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I like, when you did that, you did the JavaScript function. So I watched that talk. It's great. I absolutely recommend it. You do the JavaScript function. I'm like, Oh, that's funny. Like, that's the joke. And then it's like, picture after picture of like, 
<laughs> like you going and getting progressively like drunker and then like getting a tattoo and then like that the npm install like i was like this is this is so much further than i would ever take <laughs> anything really <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i don't know if that's a good or a bad piece of advice but if you do have an idea um it's a good idea just to um just to go for it just and go for believe it. in it and not everyone is going to be a fan <laughs> but yeah the people who are will be happy that you did that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do your classes um, take on a similar uh, similar air, like kind of a lot of mixture of, you know, funny and programming? Uh, yeah, I think we really want, like, the funny parts of what we do um, hopefully have a point um, <laughs> and there to engage people and make people feel welcome and make them feel like, all right, I'm out of work for a whole day. I want this to be worth it. I have so many tickets piling up of things I need to do and I have a life I need to get back to, but um, we feel like our classes should be like a break from that where you really get to focus on learning something new, but also you get to, um, yeah, you should be having fun. (laughs) So we try to, with um, some apps that we have for managing the classroom, get people really engaged from the beginning. And ever since we started doing that sort of thing, people are like, all right, I'm on board. Um, Most people, I shouldn't say everyone. That's so, (laughs) (laughs) that's so wrong. Nothing's for everyone. Nothing's for everyone. But I think uh, getting people involved is a good way of particularly when people are coming from different offices to like a public workshop or something like that. We want people to feel like, wow, this is going to be really fun today and I'm going to learn stuff and it's not going to be a waste of my time. So I think that helps. Awesome. What are, what are you currently teaching? What are the topics that you're teaching with Moon Highways? So we're teaching a lot of GraphQL. We have a two day GraphQL workshop that we are teaching at a lot of companies and through a public format as well. Um, That's just a full stack look at building uh, GraphQL applications with JavaScript. So everything you need to know to really build some cool stuff. Uh, We also are working on a new edition of our React workshop just to kind of go along with our book because that's extremely out of date (laughs) as is our (laughs) first book. So it's time to get that back out in front of people as well. We also teach a lot of corporate workshops to folks who aren't familiar with JavaScript, uh, people who come from a different background, a back-end programming background, or who are just brand new to programming, and we try to get them hooked on JavaScript in like a day or two. So um, that's kind of where a lot of our teaching started, and that's what we continue to like to do, because we like JavaScript and we want to we get people interested, so... I love it. Now you have a talk. Um, I think it was at React Rally, maybe last year. Was it the um, uh, GraphQL and three components? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So what is the? Oh yeah, that was the that was the talk where you you started off with the the drunk tattoo bit. There was a point eventually. Yes, later on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so for those of uh, for everyone kind of like interested in getting started with GraphQL, could you give us just the elevator pitch on like how easy it is? to start in a React app? So GraphQL is a uh, query language for your API. So it allows you to write queries to get some data um, from a 
all sorts of different places. So what's really cool about GraphQL is it's not just uh, going to get data from a database. A lot of folks associate it with a new SQL or something like that. Instead, it's a new way of requesting data from all sorts of different sources. So if you're writing React applications, if you're a client-side developer, um, you probably will like GraphQL a lot because you're going to be able to get data from all of these different sources and load it into um, all of your user interfaces that you're building. So uh, if you're using something like Relay or Apollo Client, you can uh, take advantage of all of this awesome new React syntax to really, uh, to really get data from all of these different sources and uh, be able to build applications quickly. So that's the thing I think folks misunderstand sometimes about GraphQL. It's like, is this, uh, <laughs> is this just for databases or is this just for something else? It's really an organization layer that you can put on top of all of your different data sources and then you can get exactly the data you want. So um, this gives the client-side developers a whole lot of control when it comes to that data. That's, that's really interesting. And this, this is something that I think is hard to communicate because I, it's, it's been very difficult for me to kind of like grasp this concept. And it wasn't until I started playing with Gatsby yeah. that I was like, oh, like Gatsby is just using GraphQL to query the file system, which is weird. But like, that's like kind of like the point where like my, my brain broke a little bit in just the right ways to kind of get it <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. Um, so, so you could use GraphQL as like your single endpoint to wrap like your existing REST API. Is that correct? Absolutely. And that's a, that's typically the way that people get started because a lot of organizations have a great REST structure set up already. And it's like, why would I want to tear this whole thing down to adopt something new like GraphQL? And the reason that people use GraphQL and REST together is you can put GraphQL on top of those as a gateway. And then you can query the GraphQL API, that single endpoint, the endpoint has a bunch of functions that are going to go get the data from wherever it lives. So that could be all of your thousands of REST endpoints. <laughs> that could be uh, an authentication server that you've created. That could be a JSON file. That could be a database. So it's not very specific about where that data lives. GraphQL just provides that organization layer for um, all of those APIs. And a lot of companies have done that, and they've had a lot of, like, a lot of wins from that because it's like, oh, this finally makes sense again. And we have yeah. some documentation and we know where all this data is coming from. Now, I know that sometimes it can be easy to get set up with the, uh, you know, the Apollo client or uh, Relay, maybe not so much Relay in terms of ease, but um, there, are, there are good clients in terms of mapping to React. Um, what is like the, the easiest way to get up and running with like a GraphQL server? Like, let's say you have a REST endpoint or you have REST endpoints already, and you just want to set up like a tiny little GraphQL server to try it out. Like, what are some products that kind of make that part of it like really easy to give it a try and see how it feels? Yeah, um, if you're using Node already, um, if you have a even a basic command of Node, you can get started with Apollo Server. Apollo Server will allow you to write a schema, define all of the types, and then write resolver functions that go get the data from those data sources. Um, Apollo also has another product called REST Data Sources, which um, is what it sounds like, where um, you actually create, um, you are, 
you create a server that literally just plugs into all of these REST data sources, and that's a really cool thing too. I'd probably get started with Apollo Server though, because in about 10 lines of code, you can be up and running with a server. Oh, crazy. And it's pretty, pretty awesome. So another cool thing about Apollo Server is, let's say you kind of have a sense of what your types are. So you have a user and you have a... Um, maybe a photo or something like that. You can create a server. You can create a server that has a schema. And then Apollo server, you can say mocks equals true, and it'll mock all the data for you. Oh, crazy, because it knows so, the types. Exactly. Oh, so that's amazing. it'll know what a string is. It'll know what uh, an ID is, all those types of things. You can customize that a little bit with things like casual or faker or any sort of... Um, fake data generator type thing, but you are getting with GraphQL a type system for your API. Yeah. And that's something that we really um, like to talk about a lot because that's pretty cool. Think about your domain's types, then you don't even have to worry about where the data is coming from. Maybe you don't have any data. Maybe the backend developers won't let you look at that data <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but the idea is we uh, can mock it. And again, that's 11 lines of code. You just added one wow. more with mocks true. So that's so crazy. So I imagine that that really helps in kind of like the prototyping of things as well as um, just like testing. Like it seems like that kind of has these cascading effects to just about all of the like local development lifecycle. Absolutely. Yeah. So we actually work on this volunteer project for an organization in Tahoe called the High Fives Foundation elevator pitch for that is it helps people if they're injured skiing or doing any sort of extreme sport uh, just have resources so that they can get back uh, working or get back to their life. Um, so we're building a website for them to make uh, their website a little bit more accessible. That's not the point. The point is that we put together an Apollo server uh, for them. And we don't really have access to any of their data whatsoever. We know kind of like what the fields are, but they're like, well, this is, uh, <laughs> this is private data for these people and they yeah. don't want you to have it. I was like, that seems fair, but we can mock it all and we can test it and we can write tests, um, for this server, even though we don't have the data yet. And once we do, um, we can plug it in and I'm assuming it'll be a lot more faster of a process than uh, having to <laughs> like have everything from scratch. So it's really cool. It empowers us as client side developers to really build some cool stuff. That's really interesting. So it's, it sounds to me like, like GraphQL is really this kind of layer that sits, sits in between like application and data. And it allows you to kind of go further in the process in development with, without actually the, the data or worrying about this shape or kind of where that data is coming from. And then, you know, later on, you can kind of just like glue it all together and know that your application is going to work and not worry too much about like how the data gets there. Exactly. Yeah. And we went from the monolith to all of these microservices, right? <laughs> but, and we've seen a lot of talks about that. All of these different data sources are all over the place and GraphQL just provides us with that organization. So yeah, it's really, really cool stuff. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, how have you found people respond to types in general? Obviously, that's something that's kind of not, uh, I, I guess, super established yet with JavaScript developers. We kind of like the flexibility of loosey-goosiness with types. Um, how do people respond when they see this capability that you're showing them with GraphQL? 
Um, I think when Apollo started giving talks about their server specifically, they gave us this idea of schema-driven development and uh, like thinking about all of the types first before building an app. And yeah, there was some resistance to that because <laughs> we're JavaScript developers. We want to do what we want to do. Um, but I think GraphQL has sort of come of age in the same time as TypeScript as well. So yeah. at the same time that you have people who are like, types are too much. I want to be free. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are a lot of people who have adopted TypeScript and love it. And they mm -hmm. think like, oh, wow, this really aligns well with GraphQL. Um, you can also do a lot of auto you can do a lot of code gen stuff with oh, TypeScript cool. and GraphQL, which is pretty awesome too. So I think people like that aspect of it. GraphQL also is a full stack thing. So everybody on the team is going to touch your GraphQL server in some way, your GraphQL project in some way. And so for folks who are on the back end who are like these front end people, they don't <laughs> understand like how important types are. They'll, that's a good way of bringing them to the table and being like, yeah. this actually helps everybody. And we can think about these things together. We can get in a room and talk about our schema first and we can build some cool stuff together. Let's do it. So uh, I think it's ultimately a really positive thing. That's something that's really interesting that you touch on is it seems like for a really long time, development teams have been like fully separated between like UI and data effectively, like backend. Um, yeah. And it really does feel like, you know, with React and GraphQL, there's really like there's we're just building into that connective tissue and and teams really have to get better at communicating and not just assuming like, oh, this is your responsibility or this is your responsibility. Or, you screwed this up and I hate the way you do this. Um, and it's interesting that, that GraphQL kind of sits like in that middle, that middle layer, which allows you to still have the conversations, but maybe not fight over them so much because it's just like, okay, like, well, we have it the way we need. So we're just going to map it to the thing that you have the way you have it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think everybody gets a lot more freedom from that. And having a document like the schema, it's sort of the blueprint for your whole app. Yeah. Um, it brings everybody together on the same page and People really like that. So at least I do, but I, I think other people do too. <laughs> For teams that are, are new and kind of architecting an app from the beginning, mm -hmm. do you recommend starting from that like GraphQL schema layer and then kind of like letting the team separate from there? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think that is a nice way of getting everybody in the same place. Um, everybody has a different sort of perspective on like, what is necessary? What do we really need? Um, instead of saying, like, let's look at our database and figure out what all those fields are mm -hmm. and create a one-to-one -one map of that, you th can think kind of green field in a brown <laughs> field, you know, yeah, about, yeah. like, what is the best way to build this? And, uh, yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, I've always been obsessed with technologies that have this kind of evergreen aspect to them, where it's like, Okay, we have stuff that we all know sucks, but like we have a mechanism for kind of giving ourselves like the API that we want to work with, even though like mm -hmm. it's kind of like all like knotted roots underneath. How does I, I know that one of the key aspects of GraphQL is the way that you can like version your API or something like that? Maybe. I, I am so out of my depth uh, on, on even like asking this question, but like, um, 
Is that something that is like easy to like hook into? Like should types change or you decide to like make something different down the road? A lot of people have a lot of different opinions about that. So oh, okay. <laughs> um, with REST, there was V1 of like yeah. the GitHub REST API, right? V2, V3, everything would be um, sort of similar, but the API would change from version to version. The GraphQL spec says that you shouldn't version a GraphQL API. Okay. Instead, you should deprecate fields or um, add things to that schema as needed. Um, and that's that's what was introduced in the spec, and that's what Facebook has done. So they have literally one schema for everything, which is wow. pretty fascinating, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Watch some Lee Byron or Dan <laughs> Schaefer talks about that. Um, I won't speak to that in detail, but... I think that um, more organizations lately have found that versioning a GraphQL schema has worked for them. Okay. So Shopify in Toronto did that and they're like, we like this. So <laughs> it's worked for them. So I think more organizations may do that. But the whole um, kind of concept of managing a schema, managing the API, there are more tools emerging for that because it's tough, right? There's... Yeah. Uh, all these different people working on all these different products and they're like, I need that field or conversely don't take that field away or yeah. my clients are going to break. So um, it'll be interesting to see how those tools evolve and answer, solve problems like that. Apollo engine, for example, has uh, some schema tools where <laughs> if you take away a field uh, it'll tell you before you push <laughs> it to production, which is pretty cool. So, like, are you sure you want to do this? But, yeah, the official documentation says not to do it, but I think it may be a thing moving forward. So, yeah, yeah. Um, what are some great uh, GraphQL APIs um, that people might be able to use to explore? You know, if they, if they can't get approval in their own applications, what are some great GraphQL APIs to play with? Sure. Um, well, the rule of GraphQL is you have to start by sending it API or sending queries rather to the Star Wars API swappy. That's the rule. <laughs> I didn't make the there. rule. <laughs> that's the rule handed down by the GraphQL that's point team. Zero. So that's first. Um, I'd also recommend the GitHub GraphQL Explorer. So that's pretty amazing because yeah. you can log in with your GitHub account. You can uh, you can query your own data. You can, if you have time on your hands, send mutations to like add smiley faces to issues and things like that really i think that's fun but <laughs> not for everybody probably but um it's a really great way of seeing how a huge organization has adopted graphql and has made it work for them and yeah. kind of like how do you think about these types and how are they interconnected so they've done an excellent job at that um what else we have oh one graph is a great one to look at too. So OneGraph, OneGraph uh, is a company started by Sean Grove and some other folks. They have basically wrapped all of these APIs like Spotify and GitHub and all of your favorite APIs are there. Definitely check out OneGraph if you're looking to explore the query language. And uh, yeah, they're, that's something that is amazing just from a gateway perspective. We talked about like, how do you organize all of these different data points? Yeah. With one graph, you can send one query, 
get data from Spotify and GitHub and all of these different sources in one request. So I think they're onto something there. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that seems like a really good illustration of the power of GraphQL is not like just being mapped to one one data source. Sure. I love it. Uh, anything else before we kind of like move on on uh, on GraphQL that you think people should know? Uh, I'd just say maybe check out Apollo Federation if you're looking to take the next steps beyond the client and the server. Um, Apollo has basically figured out there was this idea of schema stitching before. So in other words, what if I have two or more GraphQL APIs and I want to create one API for both of them? Then like, let's say I have weather data and maybe user data, things like that. I want to put them underneath one umbrella. So people were using schema stitching for that. Hmm. Apollo has introduced this new thing called Apollo Federation, where you create different services for uh, different things, and then you put them all together under one roof. Crazy. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Things like we did a simple example with like a ski fake ski resort that we always use as a demo. We have a trail API and a lift API, and then we have one main API that everybody can access to get the data from everywhere. So essentially two teams or three, four or five teams could work on their own API without uh, getting in each other's way. And then everything is just under one server. So that's brand, brand new, but something to definitely check out. Cool. So you could, you could make queries to either one of them independently, or you could hit this third one that, and make both of them simultaneously. Exactly. exactly. Nifty. Yeah. Nifty. All right. So I have a personal question. Okay. Now. Uh, well, personal for me. Uh, so I am I am emceeing uh, React Rally this year, yeah. and I'm very excited about it. But it's like my it's going to be my first time emceeing anything. Um, given talks before, um, but you are you are great at emceeing. You emceed uh, React JS Ladies recently. You rea- you emcee uh, Reactathon. So, what advice do you have for me on the MC role? First of all, you're going to be an incredible MC because <laughs> anyone who's seen you speak knows that you know how to do it already. So don't even worry about that. Don't well, thank you. Like, yeah, that's going to be incredible. Um, I would say that I was listening to your podcast with uh, Sarone the other day from Code Newbies. Oh, yeah, and she yeah. was talking about how the whole idea of conference speaking is like a little bit wrong because it's really a performance, right? So I think that's what you should keep in mind as an MC. People are there because they want to learn stuff and because they want to see talks, but they're also there because they're out of work and they're having fun (laughs) and they want to meet people and they want this environment that encourages them to feel included and to have a good time. So I would just say that like crank music really loud (laughs) into your conference (laughs) venue if you can, which when we hosted Reactathon, we literally bought a speaker because so, we knew that they wouldn't play it loud enough. So we brought our own music. I can listen to my own we're, hands. We're ridiculous. But <laughs> maybe don't do that. But I would say that, um, yeah, just some sort of a big opening. Don't be afraid of doing that. And then um, involving the audience as much as you can. A lot of folks have done like uh, dad jokes, telling jokes to the audience. And (laughs) the reason that that works really well is because people are involved and they want to hear their joke read on stage. So any way that you can involve the audience is great. I did a thing at React.js 
ladies in London where uh, I just gave out stuff from my backpack, like a giveaway, (laughs) because I didn't have real prizes. And that's very stupid. But that is something that is involving the audience. And it's something that people are like, why are you doing this? But you're trying to fill time. You're trying to make the speakers feel like they're not being rushed also is a huge thing. So yeah, um, yeah, just just have fun and make people feel like they're uh, they're involved. <laughs> there, <laughs> there was one bit in React.js ladies where you're like, it was like things I could have Googled, I think is like a. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. I was it, dying. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, just, it don't, you don't obviously have to put much thought <laughs> into that sort of thing. So whatever, just roll with it. And yeah, you're there to have fun. So I'm sure you'll do great. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm, I think it's going to be fun. I appreciate the, the advice. Um, so as we, as we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to tell people who are kind of learning React or GraphQL for the first time? Well, um, I'd say if you're learning GraphQL for the first time, uh, there's all these different products in the ecosystem and it feels super overwhelming. But um, what's really cool about GraphQL is you can play around with some of those APIs right away. So no matter what your background is, if you've never written a line of code, you can get data from a GraphQL API using something like GitHub or Swappy or whatever you choose. So um, starting small with anything is what I always like to recommend to people. Even if they're, even if we're going to get to a very advanced concepts in a course or something like that, there's always people who, um, who won't admit that they don't know something. And I can be one of those people too. Like, oh, I don't want to let people know that I don't know this thing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like, just making sure that you're learning the fundamentals of things really well um, is a great place to get started, particularly with GraphQL, because these API explorers have made it pretty uh, quick to get started. I won't say easy, but quick, for quick. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice word choice. Um, and then I, I guess finally, what is one resource that, that you've made, you know, whether it be a talk, a book, uh, I know there's videos online of you doing like audition songs. I'll let you, uh, I'll let people find those. Those are great. That's very, that's very old. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. But but worth it. Uh, (laughs) um, If there's one resource online that you feel represents you and your work, like as good as it can get, um, which was the one that represents you the best? Let's see. I would probably say the talk at React Rally would probably represent that the best. Um, Even though there's a lot of clown buffoonery at the beginning (laughs) of that, I think that um, these, there's a good place to get started there with GraphQL, um, just learning things from scratch. And hopefully that'll make people feel more welcome as they enter the GraphQL community and the React community. Um, I love creating resources that are um, for aimed at beginners, hopefully, even though not everything I do is aimed at beginners, but I really want people to feel like, oh, well, I could try that out. I could build this dumb thing, um, as Sarah Vera would say, and I could <laughs> uh, make something that uh, I think is fun. And if people like it, great. And if they don't, then I got to make this cool thing. Yeah. So um, I think that's where I would begin. I love it. Well, where can people find you online and find out what you're about as you continue to develop amazing 
resources for React and GraphQL developers? You can find me at Eve Porcello on everything because no one has <laughs> that name, <laughs> uh, thankfully, yet. Uh, and then I do some course materials on Egghead.io. So I'm going to have a query language course coming out at the end of July. And awesome. that's definitely something to check out no matter your background. So if you have a project manager on your team or a designer on your team who wants to know about GraphQL, there is no programming knowledge required whatsoever. So that's a good place to start. Amazing. We have, um, just to, I mean, this is, I mean, we're, we're basically done, but like you, you mentioned that design part of it and i have to say like as a designer being able to like make a request and format the date exactly that i want it in the query is like it feels like magic because we've had to use like libraries for that like for so long and like to be able to have that all integrated is like brilliant so yes designers take this course when it comes out hopefully hopefully the the launch of this episode will kind of coincide with the launch of that course i'm very excited personally about that because you're a terrific teacher and uh, I think it's going to be amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with us what you know about um, all of these amazing things. I hope that uh, people will follow you and learn from your, uh, what did you say? Uh, kind of the buffoonery or <laughs> in the clown buffoonery. Clown buffoonery. I think I said. <laughs> <laughs> that would just reach into their soul and invite them to learn something new. Thank you so much, Eve. Thank you. Thanks, Eve, for joining us on this show. You are a delight, and we're so grateful to have your warm and funny contributions to React. Thanks also to Get Prime for sponsoring this episode and so many episodes over the past two months. I am incredibly grateful, and if you are also grateful, go to getprime.com slash 20patterns and download the free ebook, 20 Patterns to Watch For in Your Engineering Team. It'll help you get a higher perspective of code and become the leader I know you want to be. This episode of React Podcast was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson. You can find React Podcast on Spec, a network to help designers and developers level up. Visit spec.fm to find other shows that will take you further in your career. Help us out by reviewing this show on iTunes. Your reviews help the show grow and help us ensure great guests and awesome content week to week. To join the discussion, visit reactpodcast.com slash chat or follow us on Twitter at React Podcast. I'm at Chantastic. To stay out of the discussion but get updates, visit reactpodcast.com slash news and sign up for emails. Thanks so much for giving us your attention. We'll be in your ears again next week. 